Our text uh, for today is found in Philippians 4, um, 4 to 9, and then Psalm 69, uh, 29 to 30. And here Paul the Apostle says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In Psalm 69, 29-30. But as for me, says David, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow, we celebrate Thanksgiving in Canada. But uh, depending on your family schedules, um, you know, we take the whole weekend as, and call it a Thanksgiving weekend. Maybe we need to make it a whole week of Thanksgiving. Now, I just thought it was kind of, I was interested in knowing the history of Thanksgiving. And according to history.com, the origin of Thanksgiving in Canada really isn't completely clear. Indigenous peoples marked the fall harvest with prayer, dance, and a potlatch thousands of years before European settlers arrived. In 1578, it's believed that privateer and sailor Sir Martin Frobisher was the first European to celebrate Thanksgiving with his crew. The meal was decidedly less glamorous than today's feasts of turkey, gravy, stuffing, mashed potatoes. Back then, they had uh, salted beef, biscuits, and mushy peas. I think that salted beef keep away the scurvy. The sailors were likely aboard one of the 15 ships that had set sail to discover the Northwest's passage to Asia's trading areas. Every day should be one of thanksgiving for the Christian. It should mark believers in Jesus Christ. For anyone still wondering about this whole Jesus thing, being thankful should be the mark of who we are. And if people don't see that in us, then they should feel free to mention it. But it's interesting, and I kind of was looking this up, that the more religious people are, and it didn't differentiate between Christians or Muslims, but the more religious, if you believe in a higher power, actually there's more life satisfaction. Just check out Pew Research or even the NIH. Yet why is it? Why do we fall into the same trap and mindset as the larger society? One marked by fear, anxiety, anger, complacency, jealousy. The seven deadly sins as the Catholic Church often referred to them as. Why is this? So I was thinking about this. I remember my kids, and I heard this the other day too again. And say something interesting a few times. Not sure where they got it from, but, but if I said something like, 
I'm not feeling well, they would simply reply, well, don't be sick. Just don't be sick. I'm in pain. Well, don't have pain. It's not that hard. Just don't be in pain. I feel anxious, angry, sad, fearful. Well, just be thankful. Just be thankful. It's not that hard. Yet it's not that easy to make ourselves feel better, healthier, or just will ourselves to not have pain. Usually we need to get checked out, sometimes get some tests, a proper diagnosis from the doctor, and this takes time. And then we need a treatment plan. Often antibiotics, prednisone, surgery, therapy. I know antibiotics and prednisone have been the two staples of my med diet. I've been on more of them than I could count. But even in this, it does still take a few days for the antibiotics to kick in or the prednisone to reduce the inflammation or to be rolling again from surgery. Patience is needed and following the doctor's orders as well. And sometimes it doesn't even work and we need to take a different course of treatment or it causes secondary issues. I think of Steve DeCrone and Jane Benoit's mum who's back in the hospital dealing with complications after her surgery. It can be frustrating. Well, just get better. It's so simple. Don't be anxious or fearful. Don't stay mad. Don't be upset. But it isn't so clear. Just be thankful. Hmm. It's not that simple. Yet Paul, in this chapter, Philippians 4, verse 4, and you can put it up on the screen if, if you want. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think Paul is as clear as glass here seems actually that simple. So just do it, Chris. Just rejoice, Chris. Delight in the Lord all the time. Be gentle to all because God is near. And I'm like that all the time. Gentle and kind and right in my family. Anxiety be gone because I'm going to, I'm just going to pray and be thankful no matter what. What's the answer? Well, when I do this, I'll have such peace from God, Paul says that I can't even explain it. This peace will protect my heart and my mind from the assault of being anxious, fearful, angry at others, or resentful. You can just imagine Paul the Apostle in the prison cell, chicken scratching, a treatment plan on a papyrus sheet for the Philippian church and giving it to Timothy to deliver. Just tell them to be thankful. It's that simple. And also, also rejoice and rejoice again. And be gentle and never be anxious. Continually pray. In seven days or maybe 40 at the most, that supernatural peace of God will be theirs. And this will protect, heal, guard their minds from the temptation to do the opposite. I would think that everyone would be lined up to hear Paul's prophetic treatment plan from the head doctor, Dr. Jesus. Everybody would, 
No more counseling, psychotherapy, antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, cognitive behavioral therapy, gone. But the truth is, in the Heidelberg Catechism, the first section on misery, talks about this. Our lives are all unique, and we're each at different stages of, of life. And each of us has our own story and experiences that are our own. But we also have our own set of problems, pains, anxieties, fears, temptations, sin issues, relationship struggles, job concerns. And in the end, I can't get in your mind. You can't get in mine. You don't want to get in my mind. You can't get in your spouse's mind and vice versa or in your parents or your parents and your it's your own. You have to deal with your own struggles, your own, what's in your mind and heart in the end. This is the human predicament. Sin, sin with a capital S still lurks. The devil, really, he still does seek to steal our joy and replace it with anxiety, fear, anger, lust, hatred, jealousy, laziness, those seven deadly sins. And his purpose really is to destroy life and to render God's children ineffective. Just check out John 10.10, 10, 1 Peter 5.8. We also have our own earthly desires and temptations that are our own. And the world around us also wants to fit us into its mold. Often that is going buying a product or a service that promotes the idea, if you buy this or do that, you'll have a better life. That's still, we do need to buy stuff. We do need to do business. And we have to be discerning about what's good and what's not. And further, though, there's those who are anxious, fearful, angry, complacent. And this, too, affects those who are in proximity to those people. Maybe proximity to us. Birds of a feather flock together, as the old English proverb goes. Well, in Proverbs, it also says that iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. So who you're around does affect your attitude, does affect your disposition, does affect your heart. And so we read further in what Paul said. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, Paul says. And the God of peace will be with you. Being thankful is hard when we're steeped in this human predicament, whatever it might be. Simply rejoicing or praying and being thankful is going to be a lot harder, though, for living lives outside of what is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. But yet I think about Paul. He was in a prison cell, beat times without number, shipwrecked, cold, hungry, thirsty, treated with contempt by the Gentiles and his fellow Jews. And he could say this. David in the Psalms, and almost all of them, was thankful as well. He lamented about lots of problems, 
And when I look at Psalm 69, I didn't want to read it because it'd take up a chunk of time. But he said, Save me, O God, from the waters, because the waters have come up to my neck. I'm worn out for calling for help. You know my foolishness, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you, for I endure scorn for your sake. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favor and your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Do not hide your face from your servant. Come near and rescue me. You know that I'm scorned. Scorn has broken my heart. You see, he's lamenting to God. He's crying out to God. Then he says, but as for me, afflicted in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. And Paul kind of said the same thing. I will rejoice in the Lord always and keep praying to him with thanksgiving. You know, I, I love the Psalms, though, because they seem to give us permission to weep, to grieve, and then to thank and to trust God, and then do it again. It shows us that we can lament, and God wants to hear our cries. You see, Rick Warren had said that, uh, that if we talk about God being the source of our problems, that's rebellion. Just check out the story of the Exodus. But no matter the complaining to God that David did, and many of the other prophets and biblical fathers also did that, Jacob wrestled with God. When you pray and you cry out to him about it, he wants to hear our heart. And then they did their best to surrender to God what was outside of their control while allowing him to empower them to do what was in their control. Impossible? I don't know, it wasn't for David or Paul, or the other fathers. They didn't have it easy, but their faith in God was big still, and it showed, it always showed. I will praise God's name in song. I will glorify Him in thanksgiving, says David. Well, well, that was then. We live in a different time. He was King David. God had a special call on his life. Saul, the terrorist, turned Paul while he was a spreader of the good news, wrote a third of the New Testament. He had experiences, good and bad, that I'll never have. It was different for them. It's different for them. Different time and place. We're in 2023 now. Well, hear this from a wise man. Between God and the individual soul, however, there is no insignificant moments. This is the mystery of divine providence or protection. Do we believe this? I believe Paul and David would agree with these words. Jesus himself tells us not to be anxious because it won't add any more time to our life. Don't fear, for I'm with you. Come to me and continue to pray, says Jesus. We need to be honest like David. We need to wrestle with God. We need to have people we can lament to, trust, and seek support and encouragement. That's why we have this body to pray with and for us. But then this wise man also said, it's much easier to see the redemptive role of pain 
and suffering and God's plan if we're not actually undergoing pain and suffering. It was only by struggling with such feelings, however, that growth occurred. Each victory over discouragement gave an increase in spiritual courage. Every success, however fleeting, in finding the hand of God in all things, made it easier to recapture the sense of his purpose in a new day of seeming senseless insanity. Walter Shizak, American-born Catholic Jesuit priest, born in 1904, died in 1984, arrived in New York after 23 years in Russia, much of that time spent in captivity in a Siberian labor camp. I read his book back in the fall when I went through a difficult time called He Leadeth Me. It was a page-turner. It was humbling because it reminds me that if he could be thankful too and find God's hand at work in that environment, then what do I have to complain about? And he actually took joy in his work. People kept sabotaging what they were doing up there, and he just kept doing it. He said, I'm going to do it for the Lord. I'm going to do it for the next generation and the generation after. You see... Being thankful is like exercising your muscles. It takes work, it takes time. Even then it may feel impossible. It's true, you may have to deal with unforgiveness in your heart, resentment or bitterness. God says don't delay. Things you watch or hear or drink could be unholy and causing problems and stealing your joy. Sin is serious business. It's why Jesus, the Son of God, creator of everything, came and died to take away the sins of the world. Twenty years ago, when I was struggling with thoughts of fear and anxiety, I had two pastors, Pastor Gary and another pastor, on the same day. And they didn't do it because they were trying to be prideful or anything. They just they didn't know what else to do. Chris, there must be some sin in your life. As soon as they said that, I knew exactly what it was. And I had to go for a walk with my brother, and then he mentioned some things that I had to deal with. And after that, the peace of God settled upon me for three days. I've never experienced such peace in my life, like a hedge of protection around my mind. I'll never forget that. Sin is serious business. That's why he died. So get bold. Get bold and ask those you love. Are there things that I need to change in my life and get right? Be willing to hear them out. I need to listen to my wife more often because she's usually right. This may be the greatest blessing of your entire life. Then do what you need to do to put to death what needs to be put to death. You see, being thankful will suddenly become easier. You may have to click off the remote. Switch to a flip phone. If your smartphone is smarter than you for stealing your time and joy as you scroll the veneer of all the put-together faces on Facebook. Recently, I actually took my phone and been wanting to get a flip phone. But I got a text. Text is pretty important, you know, for those hay jobs, right? And, but I took Safari, you know, Google off my phone. 
and I'm not tempted with the Facebook app or the TikTok app or anything like that, but I took it off my phone. I can't, can't believe how many times I gr- go and grab that phone to Google something. It actually kind of took a, a lot of pressure off me to say I, I can look it up at night, open up my big clunky laptop with the duct tape around it, and that's how I can look. But I took it off my phone. I had to do something, and it took me a lot longer than I should have, and I had the wife change the passcode so I can't put it back on again. <laughs> Whatever works, right? Put to death. Well, you got to, hey, come on. And then go visit someone in need. Bless them. Be good ears to listen. Offer them encouragement. This will be like a steroid to your Thanksgiving muscle. It will be like God saying, ah, ah, now he means it. Now he means business. Now I'll come in. Now I'll come in. It's been said that God won't move a parked car. I suppose that he can, but he wants us to move our will. We need to at times wrestle with God as Jacob did, as David did, as Paul did who took great risks and thought his life was over. But then he saw that God stepped in and saved the day. One of the best things that you can do, one of the best things about thankfulness is that the more you choose it, the easier it gets. The more you profess gratitude, the more you notice things to be grateful for. The thankfulness muscle responds to exercise and likewise in the negative as well. I remember I went through a tough season last fall and in that time I remember I, I came home from preaching in Kingston at Westside and there's also, there's always an initial high after preaching. It's, I don't know, this dopamine rush and after the service gets over you always begin to question yourself and and uh, it's always good to go home and have a nap. I think Pastor Dan was fond of going home and having a Sunday afternoon nap. I get it. I get it. But as I laid on the couch and I was going through the worst of some mental health crisis, I saw this sign on our wall with this verse from 1 Corinthians five sixteen to 18. And it says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life. For you in Christ Jesus. Now let's say that together. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's very similar to what Paul had to say here in Philippians. It's almost identical and it struck me that God spoke to me. And even though inside my world was falling apart, outside things were fine, just pray and rejoice and thank Him. And so for a long time, that scripture just was stuck in my head like a broken record, a good broken record, a good loop that wouldn't go away, a positive loop. That's what thankfulness will do. It may not be easy to be thankful when things are rough. I get it. Hearing someone simply say, "Eh, just be thankful is like someone saying to you, just don't be sick, just don't have pain. That's rude. It's not helpful. But with the help of our Father in heaven, 
allowing Jesus to have his way in our hearts and minds, having a small group that we can really trust in this community to pray and lift us up and worship together with. We can learn to be thankful, and then the world around us will notice, and they will desire what we have. What are we thankful for today, congregation? Can we just give a few things that we're thankful for? Just kind of say them loudly. Freedom to worship. Family. Wonderful countryside. We live in a beautiful country. Music. Oh, absolutely. For the hearing of God's voice when we need it the most. Oftentimes it's easy to be deaf to that voice, but it's a most wonderful thing. Pardon? Fellowship with other believers. Hope despite our difficulties. Sunshine. Absolutely. And it's coming out. The word Thanksgiving in Hebrew is toda. In Greek, it's Eucharista. The Eucharist. Communion. The Lord's Supper. It's really a supper of thanksgiving that we'll celebrate next week. It's a supper of thanksgiving for what Jesus did on the cross by shedding his blood and became the sacrificial lamb who would take away that blot, that crimson stain, and make it as white as snow. He came and entered into our human predicament. And now as he lives within us, helping us to grow up, oftentimes through our pain and our struggles and our difficulties. He's asking us to continually be thankful, to pray, to be gentle, to continue to worship Him. It's not always easy, but we can be thankful when we turn to the Lord and put Him first. Amen. Let's call the worship team forward. every reason in the world to be thankful for what you did for us on that cross. That you took that sin stain from our heart and you replaced it with your spirit. You replaced it with your very Holy Spirit, with your life. That it's not us who live anymore, but it's Christ who lives within us. And because of that great truth, we can be thankful. We can pray And not be anxious. We can cry out to you. And we have the joy to be able to honor you with our praises and our worship. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.